What's up, everybody? Welcome to High on Infinity. In today's episode, we talk about the Rock Nation and NFL collaboration, a key injury to my Lakers. We talk wrestling for the first time on the podcast, and is Spider-Man possibly leaving the MCU? Also, we end the episode with a review for Amazon series The Boys. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Like always, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the podcast. And if you're a returning listener, we're glad to have you back. Hope everybody's having a nice weekend so far. Okay, I was a little, I was a little scared for this, for this week's episode of the podcast because as of, I think Monday, I only had two topics to talk about. But the floodgates opened up the past few days, so I got a full episode lined up for, uh, for y'all today. And uh, I want to let y'all know something. Yes, I know college football starts this Saturday with Miami versus Florida and, and I think another game. I can't remember who plays in that game. But I won't be talking college football this episode. But next week, is be prepared, clear schedules. We're talking all college football on next week's episode. But getting in today's topics. Um, so last week, the NFL announced is entering a partnership with Rock Nation. And Rock Nation is the entertainment company founded by rapper Jay-Z. Rock Nation is mostly known for their music and athletic management divisions. They have signed artists like Rihanna, J. Cole, Meek Mill, and Jaden Smith. And some of the athletes they manage are basketball player Kyrie Irving and football players Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, and Juju Smith-Schuster. And one of the main per- and one part of the deal is that Rock Nation is in charge of entertainment for the NFL that will put on like the Super Bowl halftime show and other performances. But the, the deal people are talking about the most in this partnership is is this Rock Nation is going to play an important role in the NFL's Inspired Change Initiative. And the Inspired Change Initiative is a collaboration between NFL and the Players Coalition, which is a group of players seeking to advance social and racial justice. And the initiative is going to focus on three causes. It's education and economical advancement, police and community relations, and criminal justice reform. While this partnership has gotten praise, it's also got its fair share of criticism. Uh, people are criticizing Jay-Z on why he's uh, partnering with a company uh, that that has been accused of blackballing Colin Kaepernick. And Jay-Z has been open about his support of Kaepernick and the stance he took. And people are also knowing that, you know, Jay-Z took shots, you know, t- took shots at the NFL over the past couple of years saying, I think he said in one song, he's saying like when he turned down the halftime. So he said that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't need the NFL. The NFL needs him. And now he's, uh, you know, partnering with the NFL, partnering with the NFL on uh, to stand against some of these causes. And I know, like the they they're saying the optics look bad. You know, you see Jay Z on TV. You know, ha ha, Kiki with uh Roger Goodell and all that stuff. But oh yeah, so a lot of people were questioning this partnership with NFL on Rock Nation, on Rock Nation's uh part. And to me, my personal opinion, I don't. I I th- I've been thinking about this for a past week, and I still don't have like a general like. Do I like it? Do I dislike it? Apart from the part, I was, you know, I was leaning. I, okay, I'm gonna tell you where I stand. I'm gonna explain a couple of things right quick. But but I do like that the NFL was trying to be more of a progressive league, like the NBA, because the NBA is a part of the most progressive league out of all four major sports. You know they they you know they don't mind they don't mind talking about us. Uh, you know, social justice and making change, and they encourage their players to do that. 
also, and you know, and they don't mind tackling the issues that we have there, like mental health. They just passed. I think they enforced. I well, didn't enforce, but they. Um, I can't remember. The, can't remember what happened. Basically, uh, every NFL. Not NFL, every NBA team is going to have like a mental health evaluator, so you show progression in that way. Uh, but I do like how the NFL is trying to be more pro- progressive because arguably, out of the four major sports, they're probably the most. I'm, I'm not going to use the right grammar, but I want to say unprogressive league, if that makes any sense. But in the climate we live today, you know, race relations is always going to be a hot button issue. And this is my opinion, like. The please don't take this the wrong way, but you can't have a, bo- a group, a group, a bunch of old white men talking about how we're going to improve race relations. For an aspect, I was looking at, you know, like you need representation, and to me, Jay Z partnering with the NFL like secures the spot at the table to talk about, you know, these issues. So that's how I was looking at it for the second. But people, you know, were saying like they ain't call like Jay Z Uncle Tom or nothing, but they were saying like he's you know just pandering to them. How the NFL trying to pander to the black people and all that kind of stuff. But I would say by Jay-Z, you know, he didn't get to where he's at making bad business deals. I believe, you know, Jay-Z's not going to sign up for, you know, he's not going to partner up with a group like the NFL and not ask, hey, what what all I'm going to do in this deal? Like what all I am, what all I can do in this deal, you know, without, before he signed the name on the dotted line, that's like, you know, trying to find an apartment and signing your name on a lease and not knowing that, you know, our utility come with this, you know, uh, is, is water is, you know, is sewer and trash involved in this deal. So I believe Jay-Z makes sure all his ducks are in a row and ask them all the necessary questions like, Hey, um, what can me and my company do in this deal? Is it a 50, 50 thing? Do I get majority say, do I get creative control in these situations? But I think, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I, like I said, I, I haven't picked the side yet, but I'm probably leaning towards, you know, I think it'll look, you know, I think it'll work out in the future probably because, you know, everybody, you know, we're all making speculation now, but we don't know the, like I said, the parameters of the deal on, on how much Jay-Z, can, how much input Jay-Z has in this partnership. But I say, let it, let it go out for a year, year, like a, yeah, like a year, two years, and see where it goes from here. We'll just be patient with this before we make final judgments. So every time my Lakers take one step forward, we take two steps back. Lakers center DeMarcus Cousins towards ACL last week in a team practice in Las Vegas. Boogie was signed for one year after spending last season with the Golden State Warriors, and he was coming off a torn Achilles two years ago and a torn quad this past April. Boogie was projected to play a key role on the Lakers as they are as they are title contenders this season. We all know a healthy Boogie is one of the best centers in the league and pairing it with a LeBron and Anthony Davis to form one of the best front courts in the NBA. But to be honest, it's coming from a basketball fan perspective. It's sad to see Boogie Boogie hurt again. You hate to see a guy with so much potential get hindered by injuries and not just knickknack injuries, but career threatening injuries. He suffered two of the, two of the worst injuries you could possibly have in basketball and ACL and Achilles. So where does this leave my Lakers? Okay, the projected lineup, if Cousins were, was going to play, would it probably would have been what I've seen online is LeBron at the point, Danny Green at the two, Kuzma at the three, uh, AD at the four, and Boogie at the five. And just for, you know, 
no confusion with basketball, they, they call a point guard a one, shooting guard two, small forward three, power forward four, and center at the five. So if I jump from point, if I, if I jump from position, the numbers, I don't want nobody to get confused. But now with Boogie Hurt, probably going to slide JaVale McGee to the five. And like I said a few podcasts ago, we wouldn't have had this problem and Magic Johnson didn't trade Zubak during the trade deadline. This trade deadline was in February. It's about to be September. I'm still mad about that trade for some reason. But could because Zubak was was going to be a good role player. He was a nice option in the paint. He was a great free throw shooter for a big man. I want to say he was shoot he shot like I think high 70s, low 80s. I think he was shooting 81% from the free throw line as a center before the trade. And you know, that's really good because usually centers are the worst free throw shooters, probably about averaging high, you know, mid to high 50s as a center shooting the free throw for your average NBA five. And, and you can also bang in the paint with the, mo- with, the most ver- with the more versatile younger centers in the league. But now with Boogie out the lineup, I say, uh, you know, possibly we may have a lineup with Rondo at the one and then Kuzma, LeBron. AD at the three, four, and five, but AD State, he don't want to play the five, but he he may have to play the five sometime this season. But we, we'll be better with JaVel McGee at the five and LeBron running the point uh, after after this injury. And, you know, with um, McGee and Anthony Davis as your four and five, that's two great pick and roll options for LeBron. And LeBron is, you know, is one of the best passers in the league. And But to me, I think Kuzma has the most pressure coming into this season because uh, we we want to know will he step up and take the role and become the third option they need. Um, we already know what LeBron Davis and Anthony LeBron not LeBron Davis LeBron James and Anthony Davis bring to the table. Bob like Kuzma, he's my favorite Laker. And just funny thing is, he's only been there. This is third year, and he's the longest tenured Laker on the roster. And I think uh, I want to say Kuzma is on the U.S. basketball team for the FIBA World Cup. I want to say he's still on the team. You know, if I'm wrong, please someone tell me. But you know, the shout out to Kuzma for making the uh, the U.S. team if he's still on it. But Kuzma, uh, like I said, I like Kuzma. He's my favorite Laker. And the front office did show a lot of faith and trust in Kuzma by not trading him for Anthony Davis. And I could tell that Kuzma was probably the most mature player out of the young core we had last year between, you know, between Brandon Ingram, Kuzma, Lonzo, and Josh Hart. Because when the trades were speculated, hey, all they may get traded for Anthony Davis. You can see like a, a shift in the, mo- in the mood between Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo, and Kuzma, not Kuzma, but Hart. But Kuzma was like, you know, it happens, it happens. It's the business. And uh, also a few things like about Kuzma. He's not afraid to shoot the ball when he gets the ball. Like, like my critique about Lonzo last year is so when he got the ball, like a wide open three, I'm just shouting at my TV, shoot it, shoot it. He just, just passes it. I'm like, oh, man. But Kuzma, you know, when he gets that green line, he's not scared to, to take the shot. And there was a couple games last year well, he scored, I think, 20 to 25 points in a quarter. And one game, he scored his career-high 48 points. So, uh, And with Boogie Cousins out, you know, Kuzma touches will go up because I assume Boogie Cousins probably would have been a third option in some situations. It was, it was between Kuzma and Boogie for the third option, depending on the situation and how the game's uh, going. But, yes, it's a big loss because it's an extra body you know, we don't have. But the Lakers are reported reportedly looking at Joe Kim Noah and Dwight Howard. And knowing the front office, they're probably going to sign Dwight Howard. Uh, he's a 17. He's a career 17 points, 12 rebounds a game. And he also played for the Lakers in the 2012 or 2013 season. And it didn't end well. I've been very, I've been highly critical of Dwight Howard 
when his time was in L.A. because I just called him White Howard when he was in L.A. because he didn't play no defense. And uh, and he did admit that in the, in the interview that, you know, he kind of regrets his time in L.A. didn't go, you know, did, didn't turn out better because he said he was he was he was in the, Co- the Kobe's, you know, critiques and criticism. Like, hey, man, we're competing for championships here. We got to take it serious. And Dwight Howard just wanted to, you know, ha-ha, kiki and laugh and practice and stuff. And when, but he, when he was in Orlando, he was the best center in the league, but his game never really evolved. Now the centers have to shoot at least maybe two or three threes a game. But 17 and 12 are bad stats. And you throw in two blocks in there, that's an extra rim protector um, for us. And there's a nice, and a nice center rotation with him and McGee at the five swapping out. But the boogie injury will be a huge loss, but I think uh, we can still manage to have a successful season. Okay, we have a podcast first today, everybody. We're talking wrestling. I know some of y'all may, be, may ask, but Jacob, wrestling is fake. Wrestling is not fake. It's predetermined and scripted. Tell me, how can you fake falling off a 20-foot ladder through two tables and they just get up like it's nothing? And I will gladly debate that with anybody. But, yes, a WWE's one of WWE's brands is about to make their television debut next month in NXT. And NXT is WWE's, I'm going to use uh, quotation marks, developmental system established in 2012. That's where they where they sign new wrestlers from the independents to get them established in the WWE with their weekly television programs on a WWE network before they get put on the main roster, which is, you know, Raw and SmackDown, as you see on TV every week. And over the past few years, NXT has been considered the best WWE program by the majority of their fans. And I agree with that because of their great products they put out on their weekly television programs on the WWE network and their fantastic pay-per-views that they call takeovers. And I highly suggest watching the takeover events. It's some of the best wrestling you'll probably ever see. Uh, you can check it out on the WWE network or just look up NXT takeover highlights on YouTube. But what makes NXT great? What makes NXT so good is that they just keep it simple. There's great storytelling and wrestling, while WWE, Raw, and SmackDown tend to get childish and cartoony at some points in time, like some of the sketches just seem so cringeworthy and just drawn out. Like they go from match to cringeworthy sketch, back to match to long, overdrawn, cringeworthy sketch. And, and NXT cuts out the middleman. It just, just sticks strictly to the wrestling. And since NXT has garnered so much critical acclaim, WWE has came to the conclusion they want to put it, the program from network tel- to on network television for a two-hour program each week. And NXT has been on a subscription-based WWE network and has aired an hour-long, sh- an hour-long pre-tape show every Wednesday, but now they're going to go live. It's been rumored that NXT will be airing on television for the past couple weeks to combat the new up-and-coming wrestling promotion called AEW. And AEW stands for All Elite Wrestling, is a wrestling... Is a new wrestling promotion ran by former WWE wrestler Cody Rhodes. And the promotion started earlier this year and has put on shows in May, June, and July. And has one at the end of this month in August. And they're set to premiere their weekly television show starting Wednesday, October 2nd. I want to say, I think they're calling it Wednesday Night Dynamite. I don't have uh, 
I think more than likely that's giving the name for, name of it by the reports I've been reading. But with the start of AEW, this gives WWE their first true competition since the Monday Night Wars back in the in the late nineties. And TNA did kind of give them a little pushback. Probably I say I say between oh five and oh seven. There was this a, a tad bit, but nothing like real. Why WWE wasn't really concerned about that. But I will cover more of AEW's new television program when it gets closer to the start date. But I'm excited for NXT to be on W on a TV. I can't I can't watch it every week on the network because I don't have the network because I canceled it because you know, just you know just financial reasons. And um, I just have a few questions before you know NXT starts. Like where would it take place? Because will it take place in arenas? Because they currently film at Full Sail University in Orlando. And if they take the show on the like, are they going to take the show on the road and to do how they, they call it house shows when they do live events in local towns. And if they do go, you know, I wouldn't mind going to one. You know, I've been to a few uh, wrestling house shows, Oh, uh, you know, all through my life. And I think the last time I went, I had a, I had a pretty fun experience. Um, I think the last time I went was in 2017. And I don't I, know I, why I ain't gonna lie. I, 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 I a little bit. I got a, I want to say I got a, a third row seat from the ring. And then, uh, you know, for my wrestling folks out there, uh, Seth Rollins came out there. And he threw a shirt in the crowd. And I just Odell Beckham Jr. did caught it over this little kid that was sitting next to me. He was like, hey, mister, I'll give you $5 for that T-shirt. And I, did, I didn't say nothing to the kid. I just brushed the kid off. Like to my, I was like, dude, I waited 25 years to catch a shirt from a wrestler. You're going to have to wait your turn, little kid. And then later that night, uh, after the main event, Roman Reigns was out there. And uh, you know he was, you know he was out in the crowd. You know he was giving people high fives and stuff. And I went up for a high five, and I went up for a fist bump. Like you know, if you follow Roman Reigns in wrestling, you know with the shield they do a fist, like a little fist thing at the end, like a little fist bump at the end. And I tried to do that, but he, he had his hand out for a high five, and we just looked at each other for like three seconds, see he was gonna crack. He was like, "Come on, man, I'm tired." So I did. I gave him, I gave him a high five, and just kept it moving. But a, but uh. NXT is set to make its television debut September 18th at 8 p.m. Ironically, like I said earlier, that's two weeks before AEW's premiere on Wednesday, October 2nd. So this is presumably going to be the start of the Wednesday Night Wars. Okay, everybody, I'm going to try to untangle this web right here. And yes, that is a pun uh, because this article came out late Tuesday evening and I'm recording on Wednesday and I heard multiple, you no, know, I heard multiple stories. This changed so many times. So by the time you hear this on Thursday, this may change again, and this deal may be done. But as of now, it's reports that Marvel Studios and Sony may end their Spider-Man deal. And what does that mean? If they can't come, if they can't come to terms of an agreement, Marvel will no longer have creative control over Spider-Man when it comes to the films, and also meaning Spider-Man will no longer be in the MCU. So how did this happen? Apparently. Marvel Studios want a 50-50 share in featured Spider-Man films. And as of now, Marvel only has a 5% share in the Spider-Man films. And they proposed the proposed deal by Marvel came after Spider-Man Far From Home, which was released uh, this past July, grossed over a billion dollars at the box office and became Sony's highest grossing movie of all time. And also part of the deal, Marvel wanted to bring in Venom into the MCU as well. But Sony says no. And they wanted to keep the deal, the current deal they have right now, and they didn't make no counteroffer or nothing. But Sony doesn't really want to share their 
biggest movie franchise. Uh, I, I did my research. I looked up, you know, Sony movie franchise. The only ones they really have is this and maybe the James Bond series. I, I think they probably own like the last few Daniel Craig movies and they own the, the Jumanji series and everything else is just, you know, just one off movies. But Spider-Man basically their big money maker for the future. And Sony really doesn't want to share 50-50 of the biggest money maker with another uh, studio. But yes, uh, Sony does own the rights to the Spider-Man films. And Marvel Studios producer Kevin Feige stated that he was okay with... He was he was on board if both sides could just work out a deal. But, you know, as of yesterday, it seemed unlikely. And Marvel Studios and Sony always butted heads when it came to the Spider-Man film, because in 2000, uh, well, 2016 Civil War, it was like pulling teeth with Sony to let Marvel use Spider-Man for that film. And they clashed about wanting him to join the MCU fully with his own movies that coincided with the universe. And they also clashed about ideas for future films as well, because uh, in the early episode of the podcast, podcast, I talked about how Marvel wanted to put Deadpool in the third Spider-Man film, and Sony was like, no. We want Venom in his in the third Spider-Man film. So basically, from Civil War and Far From Home, Marvel has full creative control on like what, like how his story is, how his movie's gonna be, and all that good stuff. And basically, Marvel during that duration of time, Marvel did all the work, and Sony just you know putting a name on the project as well. Like, hey, you know, when we're when you use Spider-Man for this movie, so make sure our name's on it as well because he's he's still our character. And basically, I could see both sides of this situation and where they're coming from. Uh, Marvel kind of sort of saved Spider-Man live action films because the first two Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire was really, really good. And I still consider Spider-Man 2 probably the greatest superhero movie, uh, the greatest superhero movie ever made up there with The Dark Knight. We had with The Dark Knight, maybe Endgame, Civil War, uh, Infinity War. And, and, yeah, and the third Spider-Man movie was okay if you take out that emo dance sequence he had in the middle of the movie. And talks of a fourth Spider-Man film was axed after the studio and the director had, you know, they parted ways for creative differences. And they and they revitalized Spider-Man again with Andrew Garfield with The Amazing Spider-Man, which was okay. And, and Amazing Spider-Man 2 to me was terrible. It's just, I just couldn't take Jamie Foxx serious as, as a villain. That's just my opinion. And Marvel brought back Spider-Man. Basically, Marvel, Marvel brought Spider-Man out the dumps when they, uh, when they, when they let him join the MCU. And you, and from Sony's perspective, you could say that you know, Sony could say, hey, you know, y'all begged, y'all was on y'all hands and knees begging us to use Spider-Man in our movies. And there were rumors that uh, Sony wanted out the deal if uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home uh, didn't gross a billion dollars at the box office. And since they did that, they try to talk. You know, they try to try to come to an agreement of some sorts. So this it, so this deal ends and Spider-Man does leave the MCU. What is the future hold for Spider-Man in his future films? And like I said, if Spider-Man leaves the MCU, I compare it to LeBron James leaving Cleveland to go to Miami back in 2010. But Because after the offense of Endgame and Far From Home, you could tell that Spider-Man was going to be, was going to play a huge part in the future of the MCU. Uh, him as a key member to the Avengers, possibly, since Captain America, Tony Stark, and Black Widow are, are you know, they're gone. And But Tom Holland does have two more films underneath his Spider-Man deal. And with Sony now in full control, they can do whatever they want now. They can they can get rid of Tom Holland, get someone else. They can make MJ a redhead. And they, they can go there and say, hey, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame, all that never happened. So the next... 
Spider-Man movie is going to be really interesting if this deal, if they don't come into agreement and he and they split uh, because of the events of Far From Home. And where would they go from here? Uh, to me, they got to, if, if Spider-Man does leave the MCU, they got to still have some continuity in a third Spider-Man film, you know, that tied in with, you know, the MCU, just, to, just so the film could make sense, first of all. And social media has been in an uproar since this news broke. People are calling boycott Sony. People are making Facebook events of let's storm Sony's headquarters and get Spider-Man back. Even some of the actors in the MCU uh, talked about, you know, their, you know, talked about the possible split and all that stuff. But, you know, usually, you know, it's just sad that we see this beloved character character just getting dragged around uh, everywhere. And this whole situation just looks messy. But negotiations, like like I said, I read some more articles a day before recording that they said it's, the split's not set in stone yet, but they're just still trying to work something out for the future. But hopefully they can, you know, let cooler heads prevail and just give the fans what they want is that Spider-Man. So late last month, Amazon Prime premiered a new show called The Boys on their streaming service. And over the course of the last month, it was getting a lot of praise on social media. So I decided to check it out and see how it is. But The Boys is based on a comic book with the same name that ran from 2006 to 2012. And it's the same writer who wrote The Preacher Comics, which is also a TV show that's on AMC. And I think they're on their fourth and final season. I only seen a couple of seasons of Preacher, but I, I recommend it if y'all want to give it a watch and it's a real good comic book too as well but the basic premise of the boys is the boys set in a world where people with superpowers are recognized as heroes and are being ran by this powerful corporation called ball international that helps market them and keeps a good image of heroes in the public eye and they market these heroes similar to athletes and celebrities are there in movies commercials and have endorsement deals but behind closed doors most most of the heroes are corrupt and arrogant and the main purpose of Vault International is to pass a bill that will let heroes fight alongside the military. And they'll do anything such as blackmail, drug trafficking, and even sacrificing innocent lives for their cause. And a few characters of the show is uh, the series focused on two groups. One's called The Boys. They're a vigilante group out to expose the corruption of superheroes in Vault International. And you have The Seven the premier superhero group of the country. They're similar to the Justice League. And I'm going to do like comparison to those to make it to make it easier, you know, uh, easier for y'all to understand. Um, the main characters of the show is the newest members of each group. You have Huey from The Boys. He joins the group after his girlfriend is killed in a high-speed collision with a speedster from The Seven. And I'm going to talk about this because they did show it in the trailer. Why the, the dude literally ran through his girlfriend. Real gruesome scene. Uh, too like after the he ran through he sh like, he was still holding his girlfriend's hands, at you know it was just yeah it was just a real gruesome scene you guys you gotta check it out and who and Huey's a character you can root for you know he's uh he's always been lost my spot in my notes you know at the start of the show he's the the shy guy that never really stands up for himself even to his own dad who still treats him as a kid even though I would say he's in his mid twenties. At the time of the show. And throughout the series, he tends to break out of his shell. And you can tell in some moments of the show, he, he has that look on his face like, man, what did I get myself into? I was just living a, 
I was living a regular life a couple days ago. And the other main character of the show is called Annie or her hero named Starlight. And she's the newest member of the seven who won a nationwide search to be the newest member of the group. And her powers are light imminent, imminent, Uh She can control light and shoot white beans at her hands and stuff. But she's from a small town in Iowa. And she later finds out that the heroes, the hero's true colors behind closed doors and other characters in the show. You have the leader, the leaders of each group. You have Homelander from the seven. He's a mix between Captain America and Superman. He has the look of Captain America. He has like the United States uh, flag as a cape. He has like, you know, bald eagle shoulder pads. His, his costume looks pretty cool. Uh, cool to me. But he has the, he had the powers of Superman. He can fly, super strength, uh, heat seeking vision, see through walls. But he's the most corrupt superhero of all. He's selfish, power hungry, egotistical, and, and he's the main villain of the series. And throughout the series, he plans to get a bill passed so they can fight alongside with the military. Or he has a plan to get a bill passed so, so they can fight alongside the military when they go to other countries and handle foreign situations. And he's just a villain you, can love, you love to hate. And the other members of the seven, you have the Deep. He's has aquatic power similar to Aquaman. You have A-Train, the Speedster, Black Nor. Nor. Um, they, they really didn't specify what his powers are. He's just a silent hero, like good with hand-to-hand combat and uh, knives and swords. You have Translucent, who's the you know the invisible superhero, and Queen Maeve. She's similar to Wonder Woman. And each and each uh, hero of the seven have their flaws. Like one's a drug addict, one's misogynistic, and the other one she they're just scared to find their true self. And also you have Billy Butcher from the Boys. He the spot. He's the leader of the boys. He despises people with superpowers, especially Homelander. He has a personal vendetta against Homelander because he blames Homelander for the disappearance of his wife eight years prior to the start of the show. And over the season, you can see Billy gets lost in his pursuit of vengeance. And so after hearing about Huey's situation, he gets the boys back together to get revenge on the seven and all heroes. And other members of the boys, you have Frenchie. He's the handyman. Uh, mother's milk he's the muscle and he have um kamiko or in this and she was known as the female on the show she's a silent woman that the boy saved throughout uh in one episode and who has abilities of her own of regeneration and uh self-healing kind of similar to wolverine what i like about the group is that all of them grow and develop so well throughout the season like even though they're somewhat borderline criminals they still have a heart <laughs> But getting to the review of the show, first off, this is a very this is a very adult show. There's violence, there's nudity, and a lot of cussing going on. And the entire season worked as a like a slow burn. Like a slow burn is described as is uh, is wearing the plot, action, and scenes developed developed slowly and methodically towards an explosive boiling point. And you could tell by the way the show was uh, playing out that they were sitting up there that the two groups were sitting up on a collision course towards the end of the episode end of the season and the two groups have little to no interaction throughout the series until the last couple episodes what i liked about the show is that they didn't you know have the usual going guns blazing approach like other like other uh products in the genre have they realize what they're going up against uh they're going up against the most powerful no pun intended people and corporation in the country and the heroes of the seven look like gods in the public eye the seven can't do nothing wrong. They're attending events, shaking hands, kissing babies, and also in the public eye, Ball International is a top company. Or they donate the child, they donate the ch- they donate the charity events, they donate uh, the children hospitals. They put on this like uh, Christian 
convention every year. So basically, you got to get your evidence in line if you're going to try to weed out the corruption going on behind closed doors. And the, and the boys didn't make sure they had all their ducks in a row before they can make their final move. And in a world where superhero adaptations, we see superhero adaptations on a regular basis, this won't feel like a breath of fresh air. I did flip the roles in the show where the bad guys slash vigilantes were the good guys and the heroes were the bad guys. Or in this case, the vigilantes were the protagonists and the heroes are the antagonists. And usually it's vice versa. Is is vice versa in, in other situations. And also they put the literal, like the they, they had the literal meaning of never meet your heroes. Because over the show, Starlight Starlight finds out that you know, these heroes ain't what they portray on TV. They're they're totally different people behind you know when the camera's off. Because on television, the seven seems perfect, but when the cameras are turned off, you know the true personalities and colors are shown. After that, and now the show plays out like a satire on the genre. Like we live in a world where people are obsessed with heroes, and uh, they they do it well in the show. Like each hero, the seven has like their own movie franchise, all part of this cinematic. Um, universe and it had groups and, and like little subgroups too also similar to Teen Titans and Young Justice and the show had two major plot twists that I, I was not expecting these two like one of them was like and like, like towards the end of the show like oh and the ones the very last scene of the of the season you're like wow and the show that the best revenge is not the one that hurts physically but it's the revenge that hurts emotionally and a few critiques about the show is uh to me the show didn't have enough heroes or they didn't tell enough about the, the heroes because out of the seven, you really got to know about three or four of them really well. For example, like Queen Maeve, uh, she was one of the characters I wanted to know more about because they 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 showed it a little bit like, oh, she did that, and what I wish they explained that a little bit more, and they have they, they didn't explore that. And bec- while the boys, we knew everything about them, like we knew each like each member's backstory and, and, and all that stuff. And um, I would like to see the heroes have a little bit more action, too. I, I would have loved to see the whole seven work as a group to do a mission. But some of my final thoughts is I, I like the boys for the most part. Um, it was a different take on the, on the superhero genre. The boys uh, did really well on Amazon Prime. And it, uh, I read an article saying it's the most successful Amazon Prime series they ever had. And it was also renewed for a second season. As soon as the first one came out, I think they're filming season two right now as we speak. And I read articles that uh, I never read the comic. I didn't even know this was a comic, but uh, I read articles that the show was really faithful to the source material, which other, you know, people have critiques about that one because the other stuff based on uh, comic books. And also read that the boys in the seven are just a small piece of the boys universe. And they're probably going to dive into that more in uh, season two. But I definitely recommend this show if. You're in the you know superheroes and comics, or just you know just want to see a good TV show on a scoring scale from one to ten, like I always do. I probably give this show an eight. You know maybe maybe need a couple more watches to see like to see all the little nuances and stuff they they do. But overall, I, I do recommend this show if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the podcast. I greatly appreciate y'all taking the time on y'all busy day to give this podcast a listen. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Tell your family, tell your friends. Y'all have a nice week. See y'all next week. Same time, same place.